Hey everybody, my name is Tom and I'm the pastor here at Crossroads and it is an absolute pleasure to be able to share with you from God's word today. Um, I wanna start with a little bit of my story. I came to faith right at the very end of my high school career, right at the end of my senior year. And as a result, when I left for college, I was all fired up for Jesus. I had some great youth leaders um, that pumped me up and, and were sending me off, getting me ready. You know what? I'm gonna, by the way, seniors, we got a handful of seniors. As you guys are thinking about college next year, when you get to school, you need to do two things. You need to go find the campus ministry. You need to find some like-minded people who are trying to follow Jesus on campus, and then you need to find a church, right? They will come pick you up. They will give you a ride. They will get you there, but go do those two things. Got it? All right, back to our regularly scheduled programming. Um, so I left for college, like all fired up for Jesus, and my youth leaders gave me this cool kind of trippy poster with all the names of, of Jesus. Well, I don't know if it's all the names, but it's a lot of names of Jesus on it. So when I got to college, one of the first things I did was I hung that poster up on the back of my door in my room. So when my door was closed, I could see it. A couple, we're there a couple days, and a handful of the upperclassmen who lived across the hall came in, and were just chit-chatting, introducing themselves. These guys, by the way, were the ones who later on in the semester would be the ones who used the custodian's door at the end of the hallway for target practice for their compound bow. But that's another story. Um, good guys. So they're just there. We're making chit-chat. And one of them sees the poster and is like, what's up with that? And I'm like, you mean the, the names of Jesus? He's like, yeah, you Christian or something? And I don't remember exactly what I said, but something to the effect of, well, yeah, actually I am. And he kind of looks at me and kind of eyeballs me up and down. And he's like, okay. I'm going to be watching you. He's like, because everybody, almost everybody I talk to who says they're a Christian doesn't act like a Christian. And I was just like, ah, ah, ah. and fortunately, somebody else said something, changed the conversation. But man, that was a long time ago, and it has stuck with me. The importance of our words and our actions lining up and coming together and both being present. And I'm, you know, I've been better at it at certain points in my life than I have at others. But I want to... Um, hopefully communicate this big idea to you today, that there is nothing more important when it comes to sharing Jesus than the necessity and agreement of our words and actions. The necessity and agreement of our words and actions. And the way that we're going to um, kind of unpack this thought is we're continuing in the book of Acts. We're in Acts chapter 17. And this part of Acts 16, 17, 18, 19, it reads like, you know, just like a travelogue. It's like all these different places that Paul and his team go to. And today we're going to find them in Thessalonica in Berea. We're in Acts chapter 17, and we're starting in verse 1. When Paul and his companions had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said, some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. All right, so I highlighted a bunch of stuff in that passage. Paul had just, they had left um, Philippi after the earthquake and being in jail and all that crazy stuff, and they're coming along to Thessalonica. A couple things you need to know about this, this particular city. It was big. It was like 200,000 plus and there were all kinds of folks. There was metropolitan, all kinds of people coming together. Um, 
we know there was a significant Jewish population because there was a synagogue there. So there were people who were trying to follow the one God. There were also um, countless other cults and gods and goddesses and temples and, and emperor worship and all kinds of stuff going on. So um, the most popular uh, god, goddess cult, was, it was kind of just a freaky thing. It had a really like bloody, violent origin story. Its practices, its ceremonies that were like included in their version of a worship service were just like crazy, wild, like sex acts. And um, so there's like that stuff going on. And then there's other people who are worshiping the Caesars, the emperors, like that was their thing. So I don't know, as I think about that description, think about Thessalonica, um, super violent, hypersexualized, looking to the government for salvation. I mean, it sounds kind of like our situation today, right? So that's the, that's the situation that Paul was walking into. The next thing I highlighted was this Jesus I am proclaiming. Paul got himself thrown in jail in Philippi and, and various bits of other trouble along the way because he was announcing the good news of Jesus. He comes into Thessalonica with the same He's, he's, he's repeating the same message. And it's, this, is like every, this is everything. This is why we're here, this message. The message in its simplest form is this. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. I want to take a second. I want to break that down. For those of us who have been walking with Jesus for a while, it's important that we remember these things. For those of us who are maybe checking Jesus out for the first time, this is it. This is everything, right? This is everything. Believe in the Lord Jesus, right? So we need to believe First of all, that we need saving. We look around us and there's no shortage of evidence that says something's broken, something has gone wrong. And we need saving from all these temporal problems that that plague us and overwhelm us right here and now. We need saving from our eternal problem, which is the cause of all that temporal stuff. The, The eternal problem of sin that plagues each and every person ever born is the cause of things like injustice and racism and poverty and you name it. So we need to believe that we need saving from that, that we have those problems. We recognize that, we acknowledge that. We need to believe that Jesus is fully God, fully human. He came and he walked among us as a person, lived, breathed everything, the whole deal, so that he might show us how to live this life and that we might be able to um, he might be able to relate to us regardless of what we're going through. We need to believe that his death was the substitutionary death that we deserve. When he died on the cross, he was taking our place for the sins that we've committed, for the, for the gap, for the wrongs that we've done to others, we, the wrongs that we've done to God, and that his atoning work on the cross is sufficient. He died on the cross for our sins, And because he lived this life perfectly, he was able to beat death. He rose from the grave. He came. He gave a bunch of people a mission that they were to share this news about him with everyone, which they did, and he promises to return, right? So there's a lot of belief, like, wrapped up in there. And the best way to get your hands around that is to walk with other people who are doing the same thing, right? So... The other thing, I took the time to describe Thessalonica to you and then the things about Jesus that Paul was proclaiming because there's like these things come together. 
in, in this way. Jesus is so unique then and now. The other gods and goddesses that people were worshiping, the emperors, they would never stoop to the people's level. They would never go to the people and serve them and, and sacrifice for them. But that's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus gave up everything and he comes to us. He went to the people in ancient Greece and ancient Israel, ancient Rome. He went to them. So it was so such a unique, a unique thing. And the other thing, as I mentioned, he walked among us as one of us so that he can relate to each and every one of us wherever we're at, meet us right where we're at and help us move into becoming the people he created us to be. All right, next thing, God-fearing Greeks. So Paul and Silas and Timothy, these guys went into the synagogue with the mission of sharing Jesus with the people of Israel. And they did that, right? And some, some of those folks came to believe in Jesus and, and became part of this new community of faith. But along the way, these other people who were kind of like on the sidelines, on the periphery, also came in and benefited, right? So the, the important piece of this for us to remember is that whenever we are sharing our faith in Jesus with somebody, it's not just for that particular person, there are people watching. There, there are people listening. There's other things going on, other people that are going to be affected by you sharing with one particular person. The gospel has this tendency to just ripple effect out when it's shared. Last thing on there is this note about prominent women. And Luke brings this up a little bit later on in the verses. He brings it up in a couple different places in Acts. Um, so there were women in the community who were coming to faith and the word prominent, you dig into that, they were powerful, they were influential. Um, and scholars, every scholar I read referred to them as patrons. And I dug into that, and that means that these women contributed to the work at the synagogue. They gave lots of money. So this is part of the ruckus that Paul and his team were creating. They were taking these very influential women with all kinds of means, and they were removing them from their community and bringing them into this new community which added to the chaos that they were causing. All right, we continue on in the text. But other Jews, so Jews, Greeks, women, people are coming to Jesus. But other Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They, they hired mercenaries. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. We really don't know anything about who Jason is other than that he was nice enough to let these guys crash at his place, and he ended up getting in trouble as a result. But when they did not find him, they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city officials, shouting, these men who have caused trouble all over the world have come here now, and Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. And then they made Jason and the others post bond, and let them go. They came in and they created a ruckus. Paul, Silas, Timothy, they, they like stirred stuff up. And they stirred stuff up because they were, um, they were, they were equal opportunity offenders, right? The, the, the people of Israel were upset because they were coming in and they were opening up the doors to God to all these different kinds of people. And that was not, before it was just the Jewish people and just God. And now the doors are wide open and all these people are coming in. The other thing that was really worrisome to the leadership of the Jewish community is that um, the Roman Empire would, would grant 
as they would go throughout conquering people, they would grant specific people groups uh, the permission to practice their native religion, whatever that was, as long as, it, like there was a list of things, as long as it didn't do. And the term was religio licita, and that means it was a, a legitimate religion under the, in the eyes of the Roman Empire. And Judaism had this status, right? They were oppressed, they lived under like fear of the Romans, but they still were able to practice Judaism. The leadership of the Jewish people were worried that Paul and Silas and those guys were going to screw that up and, and they were going to be banned and they were not going to be able to practice anymore. Um, so then there were the Roman citizens. The Roman citizens were getting all worked up because the, Paul and Silas were saying, Jesus is the king and he's got another kingdom that's coming that's going to replace this one. And they're all like, whoa, 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 Caesar's the king. You can't do that. You can't do that. And it's really hard for us to get our, our head around how important and how these people responded to their emperors and how they treated them. I found this was an oath that Roman citizens would swear. I swear that I will support Caesar Augustus, his children and descendants throughout my life in word, deed, and thought that in whatsoever concerns them, I will spare neither body nor soul nor life nor children that whenever I see or hear of anything being said, planned, or done against them, I will report it. And whomsoever they regard as enemies, I will attack and pursue with arms and the sword by land and by sea. These people were serious about paying homage and, and following their, um, their political leader. And then finally, um, the, there's this group of people the Bible refers to as pagans. It's not like a derogatory term. It's just people who are like irreligious outside of, of any kind of interaction with, with God. Um, but they, they still participated in the economics that went along with all the other religious activities that were going on. They, would, um, they, they were the ones who helped make the little statues of the, of the gods, and they would sell stuff. And their economy was tied to the cults and the gods and goddesses. And Paul and Silas and Timothy were coming in, and they were screwing that up. They stirred everybody up. I mean, the word turmoil there, the, they created a ruckus. You guys are going to get tired of hearing me say that. All right, back into the text. As soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now the Bereans, the Berean Jews, were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. As a result, many of them believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women. There's that, that concept again, and many Greek men. All right, so... Um, they, they hurried the guys out of the city and they moved them on to the next. And we're going to concentrate on Thessalonica and Paul's relationship with the people in, in uh, Thessalonica. But I want to just say this about the, the Jews in Berea. They looked at what Paul had to say and they examined it through what they already knew of God. They looked at what Paul was saying through the lens of God. Sounds kind of like keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, right? I put it in and, and try to encapsulate it in a sentence, especially when you compare it to everybody in Thessalonica who was looking at the message that Paul was bringing through an economic lens, through a political lens, through a cultural lens. So here's the, here's the point. The gospel should inform our understanding of politics, economics, and culture, not the other way around. 
if we screw that up and we get that backwards, we end up with things like last week at the Capitol and we get Jesus' name being attached to violence and all kinds of craziness that has no business being associated with. The gospel should inform our understanding of everything, politics, economics, and culture. That's why Luke commended the Berean Jews because they were looking at things from what they knew of God and that's how they were examining them. Second point I want to make real quickly about the Bereans is no matter how long you've been following Jesus, couple days, couple years, couple months, however long, don't take me at my word. Do your research. Check, pick up your Bible. If I say these are the passages, read them during the week. Right? This, whoever is up here teaching, check, check on us. Follow up for your own um, building yourself up in in your own knowledge of the Bible. There's nothing more important that you can do. We do our best to stand up here and proclaim the truth of God's word to you, um, but it is always in your best interest to to do your own research. Moving on. But when the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, some of them went there too, agitating the crowds and stirring them up. The believers immediately sent Paul to the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed at Berea. Those who escorted Paul brought him to Athens and then left with instructions for Silas and Timothy to join them as soon as possible. All right, so we don't know for certain how long Paul was in Thessalonica. Um, Some people say three weeks because they said he taught in the synagogue for three Sabbaths. Some people say it was a little bit longer than that based on some of Paul's later writings. Either way, it wasn't a very long time. Last week, I shared with you how 10 years after Paul was in Philippi, he wrote them a letter because he was concerned about them and and wanted to to share some of his heart with them. Paul was gone not a month, maybe a little more than that, before he wrote to the Thessalonians because they had become so dear to him and he was so concerned about their fledgling faith that he he wanted to check on them. They were there a short time. They planted a church. They created a ruckus, and they developed these deep, lasting relationships that impacted Paul throughout the rest of his life. How how were they able to do that in such a short period of time? And again, I got all pumped up about this last week, but the fact that we have Paul's letters to these churches later on, um, we have these two letters, 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, and they're talking specifically about Paul's visit and the, they're short books. Go, go read them. But concentrate specifically on uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. I'm just going gonna, gonna to highlight verse 8, but that whole section gives us this, this insight into how Paul feels about these people and his heart for them and his heart for the gospel and where those things came together. This is 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. There it is. There's the answer to how they got so much done in such a short period of time. Their words, the gospel of God, and their actions, our lives as well, came together. And they were both present and they were both in agreement. Unbelievable things happen in the name of Jesus when we are able to do that, right? First, their words. And I want to, words are absolutely necessary. And there's this um, phrase that's kind of popular. It says, preach the gospel uh, at all times. Use words if necessary. And 
I, I appreciate the sentiment. The sentiment is good because a lot of times we're all, we're all talk and no action, right? But um, when it comes to the gospel of Jesus, our words are absolutely necessary. Our words have to be there. And this, I'm not making this up. This is from scripture, right? This is Romans chapter 10, verse 14. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And that's not just somebody like me or whoever else stands up here and teaches. That's each and every one of us being sent by God, following the mission that Jesus has given us to bring him to the ends of the earth, right? Preaching, sharing his love, his grace, his mercy, that news with other people. Words are absolutely necessary. And you don't, so some people, the majority of people, I think, when they hear that, they kind of get tense and they're like, ah, what do I say? What do I do? I can't do that. It's as simple as believe in Jesus, right? Just like Paul said, believe in Jesus. And if you're in that level of conversation and like that's just going to open lots of doors and room for lots of questions. Like, well, okay, what does that mean to believe in Jesus? And you respond with something like, hey, let's figure it out together. Let's open up the Bible. Let's, let's, let's like do this over time. And there, I mean, there are stories of people right here in Crossroads who have done that. They've shared Jesus with other people and they're growing together. They read scripture together on a daily basis and they talk about it and they figure out this stuff together. Our words are important. The words are the gospel of Jesus, which I shared with you earlier. They have, our words have to be in alignment with our actions, right? The way we live our lives has to be consistent with the things that come out of our mouths. They have to um, point to the same conclusion and they have to get there in the same manner as, as our words. If our actions and our words don't match, the absolute best case we can hope for is that they would be worthless, because in reality, if our words don't match, or actions don't match up with our words, it's more than likely that we're going to do harm to the cause of Jesus, that we're going to do harm to, we're going to get in the way of people finding Jesus rather than helping them get there. We want Jesus to work through us and not in spite of us. Our, so our actions have to match our words. But what were the actions of Paul and Silas and everybody in Thessalonica? And just two quick points on this. The, first off, they worked hard, right? They did manual labor to provide for themselves. They didn't want to be a burden. They, they worked hard to provide. They also worked hard at sharing the gospel. And uh, if in that section of, of chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians, it talks about them being encouraging. It talks about them being comforting. It talks about them being urging they were all those things as they were sharing the gospel. They were working hard at sharing the gospel. They were working hard at just being decent human beings so that their, um, their message might be, might be received. So the other thing that was going on is that their motivations, their motivations were in check. They wanted to please God and nobody else. There wasn't any like, competition, like, oh, I got this many, you got that, you only got that many. There wasn't any of that. There wasn't any sense of, I have to do this in order for God to love me. There wasn't, it was just, they loved Jesus and they wanted other people to know the love of Jesus that they had experienced. Our words and our actions have to, have to meet up. So 
I want to um, I want to finish just with this uh, a couple of thoughts. When it comes to us sharing Jesus, I think there's a couple of different areas where we um, we need to to step up our game. Ben, you're going to need to control the slides because my thing just died. Um, so I'm gonna. This is kind of based off the work of a sociologist. Did some stuff in the late '90s, um, and I think the name of the book is the great good place or the good great place, uh, Ray Oldenburg. And he talks about the first space, which is our home, second space, which is school or work, and the third space, which is like this neutral social hangout spot. Um, kind of some of the other things that describe this third space is there's, there's regulars there, right? You, if you go to that place, there are people there who you recognize and they recognize you. But at the same time, there's also like the steady influx of, of new people, and in my estimation, I, there's no data behind this. This is all just kind of my observations, right? At home, we talk a really good game. We talk a lot about the things that we should do and the things that we shouldn't do. But at home, where people see us, where our guard is down, our actions don't line up with all that talk. When we are in our second space, when we're at school or work, um, I think by default, we are left for our actions to speak for us. Because in a school and at work, we don't feel comfortable. Maybe even we feel like we're not allowed to talk about Jesus or to share Jesus. So we might try a little bit harder in our actions. And then the third space, like we um, we haven't, we don't even really think about like that being as like a place. It's just like me time, right? That's the that's that's my time. I can just go there. But it's this this area where all these people come together and you have this great opportunity to share Jesus. And the pandemic, just like everything else, the pandemic has magnified this stuff. We spend way more time at home. So everybody sees everybody's actions and just like under pressure and the, just the bad stuff kind of leaks out of us. We're limited in our ability to go to school and work. So we're doing that from home and our actions, we don't have the opportunity to conduct those actions. All we're left with is our words. And then the third space has almost become completely non-existent in, in the pandemic. So here's, here's, my, here's my call to us, and here's what I would like you to put in the chat as you're following along. One of these spaces is gonna jump out to you. It's like, yeah, man, I need to step up my game at home, or I need to, like, I do have a third space. Like, I'm at Starbucks all the time. I know the baristas by name. I know the guy that sits in the corner by the windows by name. I need to step up my game and, like, bring Jesus into Starbucks, whatever it might be, I want you to put it in the chat, right? We need to act more Jesus-y at home. We need our actions to line up with our words. When we're in our second space at school or work, we need to pray for the courage. We need to pray for the opportunities to share Jesus with our words, to speak Jesus's name. And then we need to go into those third spaces with this recognition of, oh man, I have a great opportunity in front of me to share Jesus. So Paul and Silas shared Jesus in a pre-Christian context. We are attempting to share Jesus in a post-Christian context. The similarity of those two things is this. Things like worshiping Jesus, things like sharing Jesus, things like trying to live by the Judeo-Christian ethic, those things aren't seen as positive they're, they actually are seen as negative things. 
And in that environment, in that culture, when we are trying to live like Jesus and live for Jesus, if our words don't match our actions, it's just going to be noise. It's just going to, it's going to be a ruckus without meaning. Or even worse, it's going to get in the way of Jesus's name. Now, if, 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 if we bring our words and our actions together and they're united in what they point to and they're pointing to Jesus, we will glorify Jesus's name and we will develop these deep, long-lasting relationships. You know another way of saying that is? We'll be loving God and loving others. And I can think of no greater example of words and actions coming together than Jesus. As we get ready to celebrate communion, I want to um, I want to point your attention to a couple of things about Jesus. You know, when he established communion, he said, do this in remembrance of me. And we, we come and we remember a couple things about Jesus, right? His words and his actions, they lined up perfectly. Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan to explain what it means to love your neighbor. And then we see him loving the Samaritan woman, caring for her, connecting for her when nobody else would. We hear Jesus' admonition to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. And, and we see Jesus on the cross praying for the men who are killing him. We hear Jesus' call to lay down our lives. And we see Jesus dying on the cross for you and for me. There's no greater example of words and actions coming together.